to actually point a camera at an LED screen with a picture of a backdrop of either a, a science fiction planet or maybe Venice and actually have people believe that they're looking at that. That's, that's incredible and that's been the departure. We're very aware that this stuff never stops. It's, it, there's always a show going on somewhere in the world. Honestly, this has been the craziest two or three months actually. It feels like after the pandemic, everybody is making up for lost time. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the cultural creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. In the lead up to LDI in Las Vegas this November, Theatre Art Life is catching up with some of the companies who are exhibiting at the conference. Today on the show we have Rob Fowler, who is the Director of Business Development for Brompton Technology. Brompton Technology is an award-winning specialist manufacturer of video processing products for the live event, film and broadcast industries. Brompton's Tessera system is the market-leading processing solution for LED video walls used on everything from huge global world tours, high-end signage and other fine pitch installations to pioneering green screen replacement and virtual production in film, TV and virtual studio spaces. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Amazing. So you guys are heading to LDI later this month, and what's what's Brompton going to be taking uh, over there to showcase? It's been a, a really interesting eighteen to twenty four months, I think, for everybody. Um, and obviously, uh, we we've been involved in a number of markets for 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 a while now. But uh, but in the last sort of eighteen to twenty four months, we've been uh, getting more involved with some of the more um, sort of. Uh, filmic and, uh, and and virtual sort of production markets I guess that's that's been the big story of the pandemic but we're also really conscious that you know LTI is a live show I think a lot of us um, that have have a, a real sort of live background uh, are quite looking forward to seeing some of our friends from that market many of the people at Brompton do come from a production live events sort of production background and, and a theatre background in particular so I think we're excited to sort of uh, reconnect with with that side of the market I mean, interestingly, I think we see some of the tools that we've we've been developing in film and virtual production as having a, a connection back into the live work. It's been, I mean, you know, obviously the, the story of the last sort of 18 to 24 months, particularly when lockdown was was very tough. It's It's been sort of at different levels at different times, I think, in most of the uh, the markets that we've worked at, you know, from very strict lockdowns where no one could leave the house um, to restrictions that, you know, maybe feel close to normal life but still have an effect on the way we do live events and, and theatre and so on maybe a, a social distancing in a, a theatre or a requirement to wear masks just little things but that subtly change the experience and so I think uh, you know the the story I, I think if there is a story in, in, in live events in particular is, is is very much towards hybrid events the idea that uh, that we're not just producing an event for people that are in the space with us, but uh, but also potentially for an audience. Obviously, for a while, the only audience we could produce an event for was was remote. But now, I think um, you know what's emerging is a uh, is 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 a strong desire to be producing live events with an audience, but also a mindfulness that uh, that that some of those audiences won't be able to be there in person, and then finding ways for them to join. And, and actually, I, I like the inclusivity of that. But yeah, I think uh, without giving too much away, I think I think probably sort of showing some of those tools that we've been developing 
for those markets. I mean, things like the frame remapping, things like uh, the uh, the extra tools to just really give you excellent on-camera performance so that where you are going to be um, filming things. We've, we've always had a lot of time for on-camera because so many of the events that we've done have been televised and so much of our stuff has been in television. But I think working in film has really sort of raised our game, if you like. You know, I think there's there's a, there's no more picky on camera performance or, or, or tricky environment for LED than 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 film and episodic television. That's really been uh, you know I suppose a story of the last few months. Oh, that's amazing. No, I totally agree with you that the hybrid uh, aspect of it isn't necessarily going away. Even though you know, some of the projects that I've done here in Hong Kong have been back in person, they're doing both, right? Which is hard because you're like, okay, do I need a show caller for both? I've got a the virtual audience to please and the real audience to please so it's a really hard it's new for us as well on the ground right so it's um it's good though but I mean why why go back when you can have a bigger audience for whatever you're doing in a, in a live sense so it's great I wanted to ask you because for those who are not particularly technically minded in our audience can you explain simply what a processor does and why it's important to have a good one in in terms of um where we fit in I guess the word I, I use a lot is, is pipeline of video. I guess um, you're, you're going to start with some kind of video source, a content playback. You're going to create your content. Someone is going to create your content. I mean, these days, of course, now it can be generated real time by things like um, game engines. But you're going to have something which is creating the images. That is very definitely not us. <laughs> That's the bit that we definitely don't do. But what we do is we we take that signal wherever it comes from and our job, if you like, is to process that and get it onto the screen. And we sort of simultaneously provide a bunch of tools for people to do that, a bit like an upstream piece of equipment that you might use to process the video. But we're also very responsible at the hardware level because it's actually our electronics that's inside the panels themselves. So a big LED wall will be built out of a number of different panels stacked together to make whatever size, shape and array that you want. And each one of those panels, if it's on a Brompton system, has a Brompton receiver card in it. So our processor takes the, the video feed in, be it 12G SDI or, or, you know, HDMI, which we're all fairly familiar with from our homes. We'll take that feed in and we will allow the user to make changes to color, make changes to brightness. Uh, those are the more obvious things, but there are now on our system a, a myriad subtler things that you can do to improve or, or, or make life easier or, or allow certain other bits of technology to be used. And we will then, at a, at a simple level, send that data out over Ethernet, basically, um, to each individual panel, giving each individual panel the right bit of information to display to make this large composite whole image. So it's a, it's, it's a real crossover between the software and the hardware of the system and and I guess in terms of why it's important, it's your final stage control of the screen. So if you want to uh, improve the look of the screen, in some ways it's your last chance. Obviously, if you've got great content, you want that content to be rendered perfectly. You want that content to look how it was when you were developing it. And this is your opportunity to do that. Obviously, we have a lot of controls. So if the content doesn't look how you expect it to look, you have some controls to change that but actually maybe what we've been focusing on more a little bit in the last 18 months particularly with hdr and our hydro calibration system for the panels is actually making sure that in an ideal world there's less for you to do 
because with HDR, we are actually tying back to some real world values. So in theory, at least, if you've created your content in HDR with you know, very well recorded colors that have been marked back to, um, to, to real world values, and you've then got a, a Brompton system, which uh, not only benefits from the receiver cards and the system, but also from our calibration system that should have been used at manufacture, you have a very good chance that, that reproduction should be spot on first time. Mm. That's great. It's a good explanation. I think um, the other thing that you said and we've been talking about is how much that um, the virtual stuff has been feeding into the live uh, live event sort of realm. And and can you explain again how green screens are being replaced by LEDs? And I think the most sort of the most sort of uh, popular one that we expect that has been had a lot of media is the Mandalorian, right? So. There's been it was a lot of media about how they did that, and and for a lot of people, maybe they've not experienced or know about the Mandalorian. But can you explain what does LED do in place of green screen, screen, and what opportunities does it offer? It's been really exciting to be involved with that that work. It's been fascinating to sort of watch an industry as old as film really going through a, a sort of generational change. You know, it really does feel like that at the moment, and. You know, fascinatingly, I guess the the pandemic has, has at once been, you know, a, a huge blow, if you like, to to live events with LED. But then this huge shot in the arm for LED because it suddenly found a whole new market, and, and that market is replacing the green screens in film studios with LED panels. Now, why would you do that? I guess there are a number of answers to that question. But uh, perhaps the most obvious one is that it gives us something in real time. It's contingent on another really key piece of technology, which is the use of uh, game engines. So I guess two technologies have, have reached a point just in this last few years where, where this becomes possible. I would say prior to, um, say, 2017, 2018, the problem was that the LED panels were typically of a pitch, i.e. the, the literally the distance between the LEDs that if you pointed a camera at it you know you would you would experience more problems that would give away that it's an LED screen essentially you might be able to physically see the pixels um, or you would get you know such bad moire effects that it would just be too hard to do but we're at a point now where you know if you um, if you choose the right lens and focus it's very possible to shoot someone in front of an LED screen and for it to look believable I mean, we've been pointing cameras at LED screens for as long as I can remember LED screens. But to actually point a camera at an LED screen with a picture of a backdrop of either a, a science fiction planet or maybe Venice and actually have people believe that they're looking at that, that's that's incredible. And that's been the departure. And the other thing that makes that possible, as I say, particularly with the, the, the science fiction and things like the episodic dramas like Mandalorian and, and you know, Foundation and all these things that are happening now, is uh, is these real time engines which are actually generating content almost like you would in a computer game? So you you create a three D environment, and then as you move the camera around, that actually creates a backdrop which can then be shown on the LED screens. Now, obviously, if you're doing that, everything's happening in real time. So another part of the technology which has had to improve massively is the speed with which we can get the video signal through the system and onto the wall because if I move the camera by two feet then my backdrop has to reflect that so a system of tracking will hold the position of the camera 
it will update the real-time backdrop, get it on the screen, and all that has to happen in an instant, otherwise the effect is lost. Because obviously when you move your head, the wardrobe in front of you, in my case, it moves at the same time. <laughs> That's going to happen. So we've got to get as close to that as possible. So all of these things have had to be cutting edge in order for this illusion to work. And that aspect of it, is that the game engine component of it, the way that it interacts with the camera, with the screen? Is that, is that where that technology fits into the sequence? So the, the game engine is, is, is key in as much as, again, the processing power of these machines has, has got so good now that they can, they can actually create these real-time worlds, which can be very big and very complex, and manipulate them fast enough that you won't get that lag. But of course, from our side, we're, we're part of that, that team process, if you like. All of the boxes in that pipeline have got to have a really minimal delay. Otherwise, any one of those boxes creating a delay can, can spoil the effect. And I guess to to come back to your original question in terms of, you know, why you want to do this, I suppose a big advantage of this is speed, whereas with green screen, you're reliant on a fairly lengthy post-production process, which means that you don't necessarily see the results of what you've shot for some time. Um, With this, we've turned the workflow on its head, whereas before we might be adding uh, an imagined environment in post-production now, obviously, the difference is that the uh, the creatives have got to get those assets, those backdrops, whether they're real time or in many cases plates, just filmed content. So maybe if I'm doing Venice and actually the scene is in a cafe, no one's moving, the camera's locked off. I can just have a nice big plate that I've shot in Venice. Very handy in the pandemic because instead of sending an entire film crew of 50 people to Venice, I can send two people to go and shoot Venice, bring it back to the studio, actors, directors catering done so that's minimized the travel so as a, this is what i mean about the pandemic being a shot in the arm for this work as well it's really accelerated the adoption of this technology because again it's been a means to an end but the other thing of course now is that actors that are, i mean if you talk to most actors and say hey i've got a, a movie which is shooting on the set or i've got a movie that's shooting in a tv store a, a tv program in front of a set let's say or you know nine months doing green screen and then we're going to do all the clever fun creative bit later and you know you won't be involved in that they generally don't tend to like green screen a huge amount because if you're an actor that's that's grown up you know in theater for example acting in front of a set you have you have something to key your performance off you you know what your audience is seeing and you can pitch your performance a little bit more from that and this in a sense, it's it, it's funny. It kind of takes us back to almost like the golden era of Hollywood, like sort of um, Busby Barclay sort of studio environment, where you, you, you've kind of got something that you can key your performance off. You can see what the audience is seeing to a large degree. And and I think that really helps actors and creatives to actually sort of have a feel for for what it is that they're making together. And, and as I say, this, this speeds up the process because, uh, you know, there's generally a bit of post-production to be done, even still at the end of that. But uh, but you know you're you're a big chunk of the way there. Yeah. No, I mean it's and it, it's really only been it's such a short period of time that all that's evolved, right? And and I, I agree with you. You know, in the early days of green screen, where you would see the movie, they'd be looking at the animated character or whatever, but they're not really. You could tell it's not because they're pretending to look at the character in the green screen, and it hasn't completely lined up. Now, obviously that that was advanced, and then people could make sure that was more realistic but this just offers the next level right and uh, I can imagine for a performer how much that would be just feeling like you're in the set or in the scene right must be much much better and much more enjoyable experience 
100%. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. I was looking on your website, you've got the Tessera feature set. So these are all aspects that feed into these processes, is, is that correct? And there was one that I was looking at called frame remapping, and this just looks like wizardry for me. Can you, can you, can you explain, it? I mean, is that, they're two different cameras making different content on the same screen. Is, is that what I understand it to be? Yeah, basically ca- capturing different content from the same screen. Uh, that's exactly it, and that's uh, something. Yeah, we've, we've developed a few uh, new features in the last sort of uh, eighteen months that are particularly relevant to this kind of work. Um, but frame remapping is a good one. Essentially, we've now got the ability to drive the screens faster than ever before. So, if you take it that typically we might be driving a, a, an LED panel with content, which is 50 or 60 hertz, maybe even as slow as 24 hertz if we're in film, um, because that's the speed at which we're capturing. We can now drive the screens at speeds up to, depending on the panel, 250 hertz. So what are we going to do with all that extra power? Well, we can actually do something quite cheeky, which is to display two different images. And actually, we have a really good demo, um, which we'll probably do at LDI, where people can sort of experience this, because it is one of those kind of seeing is believing or in fact seeing is not believing kind of things. We can uh, we, we do a demo actually in the, in the office where we actually have our, our company logo on one piece of content and then uh, a backdrop in the background. Now, we're all used to seeing logos superimposed on content. That doesn't in itself, you know, raise an eyelid in 2021. So what you see on the screen is the Brompton logo spinning in front of a, a backdrop of, uh, of, let's just say, sort of one of these kind of paint Uh, explosions sort of like gooey content what we can do because we're not actually ever showing the logo at the same time as the paint we're actually showing a frame of the logo we've actually doubled the refresh rate to uh, say let's say 150 hertz is 50 hertz content we're in london we've doubled the refresh of the screen we're actually going to show the the logo then the paint then the logo then the paint but at those kind of high refresh rates all your eye sees is the logo on the paint and say the faster we do this, the smoother we do. If you slow it down, then you will see the logo, the paint, your eyes fastness resolve that. Get much above 100 hertz and you just see the two things together until you point a camera at it. Because if the camera is still capturing at 50 hertz, it's going to capture one or the other. We have to sync it carefully so that it's not getting in between the two. But it's very easy to actually get a clean capture of the logo or a clean capture of the paint. So this, you know, is weird. <laughs> you look at a screen, but what the camera sees is totally different to what you see. But it's also really useful in in a, in a film sense because we can do things, as I was mentioning earlier, where we've got a, a real-time capture. 
the backdrop that we might be showing from the real-time engine will be perfectly synced to the position of the camera. And if that camera moves, that backdrop moves. But if I want to shoot the scene from another angle, which let's face it, you know, is a very normal thing to do in film, the backdrop will be completely wrong because it's really set for this position of the camera, not the other camera that's over there. But if I have a, a second engine, or in fact, I think going forward, there may be techniques that allow these engines to develop multiple perspectives, which is really exciting, mostly develops on power. But right now we can do it with a, a, a second feed, if you like. We can display those two feeds, sync one camera to feed A, the other camera to feed B, and then I have my good old organic analog actor in the scene as well. So we can effectively shoot those two camera angles simultaneously and you get even closer to uh, to working with the real set. That's just crazy. I mean, and, and the actor is is still looking at, at the high high frame rate, right? So I can see everything like he's supposed to see it, but the cameras are syncing up from the different perspectives, their their vision at a certain rate. Is that correct? That's it. So they're going to see they're going to see simultaneously both, but they'll be superimposed. So it's not too distracting and you're still getting the benefit of understanding that environment that you're working in. So it's a little bit, with you working with frame remapping, it's a little bit like um, when you take off the 3D glasses in a 3D environment and you see the two images. So it's not quite as, as, as perfect in that sense as working with a similar camera. But what we found is that although there are techniques that allow you to hide the second image, which is even more voodoo, I appreciate, and that actually if you want really good on-camera performance, it doesn't quite work. So actually if you want to capture a really good quality image on both the cameras and not just one of them, then it's better to actually have those two simultaneously. And we found actually just getting the refresh rate nice and high would avoid any flickeriness that actually kind of could make that distracting for actors. So yeah, that's that's just one of the techniques we've been playing with. That's absolutely incredible. And I can imagine just if you think about that, you know, you're able to be capturing multiple things at the same time, how much you can um, speed up the process even, right, of the whole of filming stuff. And, and you know, time is money with a lot of this these, this filmmaking and, and, you know, how many Netflix shows and everything comes out these days. It's like, wow. I think that's a big aspect of this. Um, again, you know, where we've we've talked to creatives, particularly sort of directors of photography. I mean, there's, there's a great little section in the, uh, in the Mandalorian's sort of how-to series, a actually really informative section um, on Disney Plus, as well as the Mandalorian. There's actually a, a whole season of programs about how they made it. And uh, there's one moment where they're, they're talking to the director of photography and he's talking about the, just the joy of being able to shoot uh, a sunrise uh, for 10 hours without you know knowing that if they don't get the shot in the can in that moment they're finished for the day and they've got to come back the next day and hope to goodness it's not cloudy that you can just be doing this and 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 things like train scenes you know it's obviously been really popular for car work I'll come back to that in a moment but but trains actually shooting on trains I know I was talking to another creative who um who'd done a scene on a on a train and uh I'd initially had to a hard time convincing the director of photography this was going to work and, and the DOP was was adamant that they should be doing it on a real train that nothing was going to look right and, and just by the end of the scene because the sheer convenience is saying right okay cut and now let's go back to the previous station rather than moving the train three miles down the track reset they just replay the content and <laughs> You know, that, that sheer convenience of being able to wow. do that rather than having to do an incredibly complex um, reset of, uh, of where the, the train is so that you've got the continuity and, oh, no, the cow's not in the right place anymore now because they've moved. 
So we've lost all the continuity from that previous section. All these things just go away and are in a, a really controlled environment. I guess the other thing, I mean, uh, coming back to, to the very original question, in comparison to green screen, say, rather than a, a real environment, but a, a green screen environment is uh, is the lighting and the reflections. Because instead of uh, having to kind of create the effect of light on the actors purely from the lights that we might have in the studio and then any effects that we apply in post-production, we've also got the light being cast from the video screens. And we call it the M word, actually, because it just crops up in the Mandalorian. <laughs> Keep coming back to the Mandalorian. But it's a great example. Yeah, um, it's a great reference. Of, uh, of, of the, uh, yeah, I mean, those the audience who've seen it will, will, will know the character um, of the Mandalorian wears a, a very shiny set of metal armor. Very shiny indeed. And that is exactly the kind of thing that would be a complete nightmare if you were to do everything with green screen and post-production, because obviously your background will will look a certain way. And you naturally expect that to be reflected in his armour. But it won't be. And all of that has to be added painstakingly in post-production. Whereas with an LED screen, we can have those reflected images in the armour coming from the LED screens. So LED screens that are off camera are you know, as important, if not more important sometimes, than the LED screens that are on camera for creating those those realistic reflection and lighting effects um, on, on people's faces, sometimes just in their eyes. But yeah, getting those uh, those reflections. Yeah, all about making it look at as real as possible, isn't it? So, hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So, what other markets do you does Brompton kind of serve? So you you know you, you're in that that realm of, of film and, and television, and you said live entertainment. What but what kind of live entertainment people are, are buying your products? Oh, so I mean, it, it's crazy because um, you know prior to about sort of 2018, you know we were very much a live events company that was dabbling in, uh, in, in in virtual production and, you know, we're expecting it to take off. But but I don't think uh, even we had uh, any idea it was going to take off to the extent it has. I mean, I guess our, our bread and butter um, when we began the company was 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 very much the traditional markets for, uh, for live event LED. So um, rock and roll shows, big awards ceremonies, corporate sort of car shows and presentation, and of course, theatre, and uh, and then you know, extending on from that, permanent installation. A permanent installation has been sort of a market for us, but uh, it's one that we're sort of growing into gradually. I think because we've we've because we were always tilting at the premium part of the market. Many of the features that we could develop and offer were 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 more useful to the people that had to turn these things around in a in a matter of days or hours, rather than the people that maybe had months. We are we are now seeing more of the installation stuff. I think in the last few years with some of the techniques like HDR, which have really just raised the quality and look of the screen. There are demanding sort of screen applications in permanent install um, where they actually want, you know, the best looking screens they can possibly get. And we're starting to see adoption in that. But I think, um, you know, sort of live events is in our DNA. Many of my colleagues and uh, and in fact, the owners come from sort of a live events background and, uh, and in some cases theatre. I mean, my CEO, Richard, um, is actually, uh, you know, his his background and his interest is, is theatre. And in fact, um, he's still uh, one of the trustees of the, the Questus Theatre, our, our local theatre in Ealing, which is the closest to our office. And uh, and yeah, I mean, we've, we've just hired uh, another uh, tech support engineer. We can't, can't find people fast enough at the moment, but just another tech support engineer who comes from a, a freelance theatre background. And she's um, she's excited about joining us and we're excited about having her on board. And uh, I just think the... Um, the live events mindset, whether what you actually end up doing is uh, is 
specifically that or or even the, the other sort of um demanding applications that we service it's just a very good mindset to bring into this kind of work so yeah mm. no that's really interesting and you personally I mean how did you get into Brompton did you have a back did you come from theatre what was what's your history kind of yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I I was uh I was playing with um with lights and sound at college thanks to a friend that got me interested and involved in it and and actually my my very first paid professional job was with theatre projects in London uh, as a lighting it was a lighting company um so I, I began in, in in lighting and um quickly found my way into uh to the the sister stroke parent company which was very light and I was a field service engineer for very light for a number of years um so I was going out to a real mix of, of tv shows car shows theatre shows live events it was the best grounding I mean I really fell on my feet I have to admit but at that time in um in the sort of mid mid 90s um I think if you were getting into lighting particularly or, or frankly actually just getting into you know the production space there was probably very few better places in the UK to be than uh, than in a in a warehouse in Greenford <laughs> um <laughs> just because there was there was so much potential to learn so many incredible people you could meet and so many opportunities after a year or two when you learned a few things to actually get out and, and be using that equipment at, 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 you know, the very top level, you know, cutting edge equipment. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 I still look back on that time fondly. I, w- I was then, you know, very lucky to work on the Millennium Dome in 2000, which again was a, a real melting pot, short and sweet, a year and a half. Um, I was involved with that, but again, you know, just sort of met a lot of interesting people. I think possibly because, so many of the individual zones in that were were done by lots of different creative teams, and that that sort of sparked my interest in in lighting control and and desks, which led me on to uh, to to joining Flying Pig Systems, and uh, and meeting um, many of the people that I'm still working with today, because that's sort of again slightly the heritage of of Brompton. We're part of the Carillon Group, which uh, is uh, been around. Carillon's been around about eighteen years now. And this uh, was founded, if you like, by um, many of the core team who worked at Flying Pig Systems, um, developing lighting consoles, and, uh, and they took that that sort of knowledge um, and experience into the products that they now develop for, you know, the likes of ETC and Philips and, and Martin, you know, as a, a contract hardware and software engineering house. And then about sort of a decade ago, they 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 were turning their attention to video a bit more, and that that was really the genesis of, of Brompton was uh, using that that knowledge and experience of uh, of software electronics but most importantly live events to uh, to create a, a processing system that was better suited for live events a lot of the processing that was around prior to that was great for digital signage but you know it's it's a different environment putting a screen into you know the Kodak theater or somewhere that it is for you know installing it on uh, on a roundabout uh, or outside a building, you know, it's a different set of requirements, a more demanding set of requirements, if we're honest. And uh, and you know, one of the the things that's very important is ease of use, ease of use, reliability, and technical support, which is still a real backbone of what we do. We we have the office in London, but now also in Los Angeles, Shenzhen, and Taiwan, with technical support that can be offered sort of round the clock to our users because we're we're very aware that this stuff never stops. It's it, there's always a show going on somewhere in the world. And if they have a problem, they pretty much need someone straight away. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to deliver. Amazing. Amazing. 
we always ask our podcast guests what what their favorite thing is about their job. So, what's your favorite thing about being the director of business development? I mean, there's a lot of things that I love about this job. I think you know, in many ways, um, getting to work with the team that I get to work with, and and by team, I actually do sort of extend that out to to the customers as well and the people using our equipment. But uh, but it's a very special team in house at Brompton, you know, at and as the wider Carillon group, there's some phenomenal people, you know, that I've been privileged to work with in my time there. But yeah, and, and, and actually seeing how our customers and partners use this technology, you know, what they're doing with it, just to be a part of, of, of some of the innovations they're making with it. Uh, sometimes things we never expected, but that when we see, we'll think, oh, okay, well, now you're doing that. Maybe we can help with this. You know, that's, that's very special. And, and actually, I think, you know, one big one is is to be making stuff in in the UK. You know, to be making electronics at this point in 2021 that's used around the world. That's very exciting too. So yeah, it's all um, it's all good. Amazing. Do you know your LDI booth um, number? That where oh people gosh, find I you should. At the- <laughs> it's been it's oh, been a terrible. trick question for everybody I've interviewed, and everybody hasn't been ready for that question, so I thought I'd throw it in there. <laughs> oh dear! Well, that's that's the whole game shot now. My marketing manager's going to kill me. No, I, uh, <laughs> it's been honestly, this has been the craziest two or three months. Actually, it feels like after the pandemic, everybody is making up for lost time. Yeah, a and, ramp uh, up, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's. I've literally gone from pillar to post this week. So, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, as, as, as you mentioned earlier, it's a little early here in the UK, but uh, but yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> I don't know the answer. I could look it up if you want no, to wait. It's all, good. It's, all, it's all good. We've got. Um, I know that anybody that attends the uh, event gets a map anyway, so they can they can check it out on the map, and and you'll be there, right? We'll be there, and I'll be there personally. Yeah, I'm I'm flying out in a few days. Thankfully, I think the whole visa covid passport situation is resolved and whilst we couldn't get out to infocom which is a shame from london we uh, we should be fine for this one and uh, a few of my colleagues are out there already preparing so yeah looking forward to joining up with them so amazing well thank you so much rob for uh, joining theater art life today and uh, coming to tell us about your your work and your products and i wish you all the best and have a great time at ldi thanks for your time Anna. it's a real pleasure theater art life is a global media site for entertainment Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.